0: Take your Bibles tonight and turn to James chapter number one, and I like that song. It is Our Father's World. He is still in control. Praise the Lord for that. James chapter number one. Now just to, uh, by way of introduction, before we jump into the message tonight, I keep getting threats from Brother Woodard that he's going to make faces at me while I'm preaching tonight. So Brother Hopper, when you scan the congregation tonight, if you see him making faces, I want you to zoom in as close as you can right on Brother Woodard. All right. James chapter number one. The Lord has uh, had James on my heart and mind for some time now. We've spent probably the last five weeks or so in the book of James in Sunday school with our teenagers, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, For about five weeks, we've been in the book of James in uh, chapter number one, and in five weeks, we've made it about five or six verses into it. And so tonight, we're going to walk through the first seven verses and just to prove to the teens and the youth workers that I can do it, I just choose not to in Sunday school. So let's read our text together. James chapter 1, verses 1-7, through 7, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience." But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Lord, what a blessing it is to be in Thy house and to be able to sing the songs that are worshiping Thee. What a privilege it is to be able to open Thy Word tonight freely and to be able to preach. Lord, I pray that Thy Holy Spirit would meet with us tonight. I pray that You would open our understanding of Thy Word. And I pray that You would hide me behind the cross, Lord. May I say only that which would be pleasing to Thee. And we would ask it in that precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here in James chapter number one, again, my desire tonight is to just walk through these first seven verses and point out some things that I pray will be a blessing and a help to you tonight. Look back with me in verse number one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Oftentimes we come to the first verse in a book of the Bible and we almost kind of just breeze right through it. It's a greeting that's being given and yet... Every word in the Bible is inspired, is it not? So even in the first verse of each of these books of the Bible, we can find helpful things for our hearts and our souls. And I want you to see that James here in this book, the author of the book under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was Jesus' brother. He was also the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And notice how he refers to himself in verse number 1. Right off the bat, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you in the service tonight have siblings? Okay, many of us. Now, could you even stomach the idea of going to your brother or your sister and saying to them, hey, I just really want to be your servant. I am going to serve you so well. I mean, most of us, that would be horrible. That would be terrible. I couldn't even stomach the thought of saying to my brothers, hey, I just want to be your servant. And yet, as we look at what James is saying to us here in verse number 1, He had the ability, he had somewhat wherein he could boast. He was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He grew up with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in close proximity to Him all of his life. James had the ability in which to boast in his unique relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Very few could claim to have been as close to Jesus in this same manner in which James was. And so, as I see this, rather than James taking the opportunity to boast in and of himself or to brag or to say that he had something greater in himself than others had. Rather, he chose and recognized that his desire was to be identified as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think what a reminder it is to each of us where you and I ought to stand in relation to our Savior. You see, many people have the idea that God is just our buddy. Many have the idea that God would be some wish granter, and that's not the case whatsoever. When I look at our Heavenly Father, I find that He is my Lord, my God, my Savior. I find that He is all in all, and it is our privilege, and we ought to find it the greatest joy not to be His buddy, but to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Master. And so James says, the highest honor that I have is to be considered a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now understand that in the day in which this book was written, the Bible says again in verse 1, "...to the twelve tribes which were scattered abroad, greeting." So the book of James was written according to verse 1, "...to the tribes that had been scattered abroad." In James' day, there was great persecution toward the true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a time when there was heavy persecution against the local church. If you'll just think about this for a moment. It had not been very long since James had witnessed, perhaps with his own eyes, where the Lord Jesus Himself was given over to an angry mob to be beaten and to be crucified. Jesus was persecuted severely. Not long after that, we read the the account in Acts where Stephen was martyred. The Bible says that Stephen was stoned to death. Why? What was his crime? What wrong had he done? He preached the Lord Jesus Christ. He took a stand for the Lord, and yet there was heavy persecution because he named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus, having power and authority, went out according to Acts chapter 8 and verse number 3, making havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. What were their crimes? They stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that they had committed some great sin or broken some law. They simply knew the Lord. They took a stand for the Lord. And they chose to be identified as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they suffered heavy persecution. You move on through the book of Acts. And you read account after account where the disciples were often beaten and imprisoned for refusing to keep silent about their Savior. See, there was heavy persecution in this day, and it was under these types of persecution that led to the scattering abroad of these people. And now James is writing this book. The Holy Spirit is giving us an example and seeking to prepare your heart and my heart for how we should handle temptation, how we should handle the trials and the persecutions of this life when they come our way. By the way, they're coming. If they're not here today, they'll be here tomorrow. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is just a byproduct of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, trials and difficulties are not bad. They're good because they mold us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that tonight. And so we find in verse number 2, the Bible begins to explain to us and to teach us how we should respond in difficult times, how we should respond under persecutions and trials. Notice with me in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. So according to verse 2, the proper response when we are faced with temptation, trials, persecutions, is joy. Joy to be excited about it in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have joy in the inner man. Now, it's interesting to me how this is the exact opposite of the natural reaction of our flesh. You see, when we talk about joy in the Word of God, we must understand that joy only comes from one place. God is the source of our joy. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes by walking in the Spirit and being led by Almighty God as we walk through the Scriptures on a daily basis. The closer we are to God, the nearer we are to the source of all joy. It's no wonder tonight that this reaction of having joy in difficulty is and should be in total contrast to the flesh. You see, when we talk about joy, we must understand that joy is far beyond simple emotion. Joy is far beyond the feeling of happiness and being happy on the outside. You see, the truth is tonight, I can be happy without having joy. I can be happy in my emotion without having joy in the inner man in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example, and this may be a very poor example, but I love roller coasters. That's something I enjoy. The bigger the drops, the better. The more they go upside down, the better. I love roller coasters. I grew up going to Six Flags where it seems like every 30 feet there's a bigger and better coaster. And man, I love it. I love the thrill. I love the excitement about it. I hate the the lines. But I love it when I finally get in there and they ratchet that strap down so tight you can't breathe. I mean, I love being on roller coasters. But I got news for you in the middle of riding that roller coaster, I can be as happy as possible. I mean, the smile on my face, I love it. But there's nothing spiritual about riding a roller coaster. And though I can be happy emotionally, that may not necessarily mean that I have any joy in the inner man. Now, on the other side, it is possible for you and I to have joy without being happy. We can have joy as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ without experiencing the emotion of being happy. You see, as we look at joy, we understand that it is a confidence in the inner man that God is right and God is in control. I have joy because I have a confidence that God is who the Bible declares Him to be, and I can trust Him. He's right all the time, regardless of our circumstances. I can trust God. And it is the confidence that we have in Him that allows us to be joyful regardless of our circumstances. Let me give you an example you can go to a graveside and you can stand there at a graveside of a loved one who has gone home to be with the Lord. And you can stand there and you can watch the family as they grieve over their loved one. And yet, as you watch the scenario play out, even though the loved one is saved and in heaven, and even though the family are believers in Christ, you will witness sadness at the graveside. You'll witness tears at that graveside you will experience the absence of happiness on the faces of these loved ones who have watched their relative go home to be with the Lord. Of course, they're going to miss them. They're going to have memory after memory to think upon. And yet, if they are truly saved and they know the Lord and they're walking with the Lord, joy will remain in the heart of the believer because he knows God and he trusts in Him. See, our joy in God goes beyond our emotions. It goes beyond happiness. Though the emotions of the family may be sad, there is joy in the Lord and confidence from within. And so he says here, our response when we fall into divers temptations is to be joy. Now notice with me back in verse number 2, we see the word brethren. My brethren in verse number 2. Obviously, we are dealing very specifically here with born-again believers. If joy comes from the Lord, and it does, then how can the lost man ever experience true joy in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not possible. You see, one of the greatest benefits that we have in being saved is that we have a joy that the world cannot comprehend. They've never experienced it. They don't understand it. How is it that we can go through difficulties and come out shining as gold in in the eyes of Jesus Christ? How is it that we can go through trial after trial and yet have a calmness about us? You see, we have a hope in Christ that the world does not understand. We're dealing specifically with born-again believers. He says, my brethren. You see, the reaction to life's difficulties without Christ is quite different than the reaction that you and I would have as believers. You see, when the lost world is weighed down with weights of life, and when the lost man is weighed down by the weight of the world and difficulties and trials, he will crumble beneath the weight it may be very devastating for him because he does not have Almighty God to lean on when there is nowhere else to go. When we have come to the end of our strength, we have the everlasting arms to fall into. The lost man doesn't have it. You see, true joy is only for those who are saved. Notice the end of verse 2. When you fall into diverse temptations. Again, we've already covered this, but temptations, trials adversity, difficulty. How many of you recognize tonight that in your lifetime there has been great adversity? There has been great difficulty that has come unto you. I think each of us can raise our hands. And it's not going to get any easier. We live in a wicked world. We live in a world that is growing farther and farther away from Almighty God. In the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. We're going to face adversity. We're going to face trials and difficulties. And yet, we see, according to the Bible, how we ought to react when life throws us difficulties. We ought to be joyful. But why? Why should we be joyful about the things that hurt us? Why should we be joyful when we go through things that are hard? Well, according to verse number 3, he says here, Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience." Why is it that God has commanded us to find joy in our difficulties? It's because God has a purpose for every trial and every difficulty that you'll face in your lifetime. You see, God is a God of order. He does not simply allow things to happen for the sake of allowing them to happen. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And He is always working on our behalf for our good and for His glory. He has a purpose behind it all. Every trial, every circumstance, every difficulty, God is doing a work. So He has a plan. He has a purpose. According to verse number 3, the purpose for the divers temptations, the purpose for the difficulties is because God is trying or testing our faith. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see, God allows His children to go through difficult circumstances that He might try or test the faith of His children. Now, I believe tonight as we search the Scriptures, there are various reasons in which God allows us to go through trials. There are various reasons that God would seek to test our faith. One of those reasons is to get our attention. I believe tonight that so often God allows our faith to be tested and tried because He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to get a hold of our attention. He's trying to show us that perhaps we are not doing as well as we thought that we were. You see, we have a bad habit. And that habit is that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We have a habit of thinking that we are far better off than we truly are. You see, we get the idea that because we come to church and because we go on visitation and because we sing in the choir, in our own eyes we're doing pretty good. We're doing better than most of the world. And it's easy to become complacent and to place all of our stock in things rather than in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in our walk with Him. And so oftentimes we get up and we look in the mirror and we say, you know what, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. The problem is we haven't searched the Scriptures and looked into the mirror of God's Word to see exactly where we truly stand. So often we're not doing so well like we think that we are. And so God will allow difficulty, God will allow a persecution or a trial to force us to take a step back and reevaluate where we stand in relation to our Savior. Time and time again we find that when God knocks at our door and He forces our attention, it's because He's trying to wake us up. He's a loving Father. He wants us to be close to His side. And so we must take a step back and reevaluate our lives and look at our lives through the all-knowing eyes of our Savior. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves and we come to a place to where the trial is severe, the attack is unreal, and we don't know what to do and we don't know where to turn and we finally get on our knees and we look up, and we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of our Savior, we might be a little surprised at what we see. We might be a little convicted about what we see, and there may finally be some change that takes place in our lives. I wonder tonight how many of us, if we were to look at ourselves through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would find that in His eyes we have grown stale in our Christian lives. We attend church, but we leave week after week unchanged. I'm a firm believer that if God is truly the God of the Bible, then every time His Word is preached and declared, He has a message for you and I personally, meaning every time His Word is preached, we ought to leave changed. When's the last time you left church truly feeling like you were changed by the truth of the Word of God? Perhaps God sees through His eyes and He looks at our life and He says, Bible reading has become a chore to you rather than a search for the mind of Christ and His help in your life. You see, so often our faith is tried in order that God may show us ourselves. But I believe there's a second reason tonight. One of the other reasons in which God would allow us to fall into diverse temptations is not necessarily to get our attention, though that is true, but at other times it is to be an example to others and to ourselves. There are times when we are walking in the truth of the Word, when we are where we need to be with the Lord, and God will allow a difficulty, a trial, a persecution in order that you and I might be examples of the Lord to a lost and dying world or to a backslidden world. God wants to use us as examples to prove to this world that He is alive and well, and He does that by using people to show the love of Christ, to show the power of Almighty God and to prove to ourselves that He is who He says He is. You see, God who knows our hearts and God who knows that others are watching our lives day in and day out may send hard times your way in order that you might shine as an example to a lost and a backslidden world in order that God might receive glory through your faith and in your confidence in who He is. You see, I look at the example of Job. Did Job have anything in and of himself to deserve what what he went through? Well, he wasn't perfect. He was just a man sinful like you and I. And yet the Bible says, have you considered Job? He's a perfect and an upright man. He loves God. He eschews evil. Was God seeking to punish Job? Was God seeking to get His attention because He was not walking with God? That's not the case at all. The Bible says Job went to God every day interceding for his family. He knew what it was to walk with God. But God knew far more than Satan knew, and knew that he would receive glory through Job's trying and Job's testing of his faith. And we read about Job today, and we're encouraged by the stand he took. We're encouraged that on the other side of his trial, he came forth as gold, an example. And how many lives have been changed by his testimony? You see, God, if we are walking according to the Scriptures, will allow difficulty that we might be an example to others. Have you ever come to think about the fact that God's not picking on you, God's not punishing you, however, somebody may get right with God because you and I responded correctly to the trials that God allowed in our lives. I think about the song, For when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. I believe that ought to be the prayer of each and every one of us as believers. You see, God has a purpose for your trial. The purpose is to test your faith. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The purpose is to try your faith. Whenever you fall into something, whenever times are hard, don't jump to the conclusion to blame God. Take a step back and say, God, you're seeking to try me today. You're seeking to test my faith, whether it's genuine or not. That is the purpose of our diverse temptations according to verse number 3. Now I want you to notice the trying of your faith, the Bible says, worketh patience. So if God's plan for difficulty is to try our faith, then the trying of our faith works to produce in your life and in my life, patience. Patience is one of the Purposes as well as one of the rewards for going through life's trials. When we look at patience, patience is the idea of an endurance. Patience has the idea of having the ability to wait confidently on the Lord regardless of the situation. Now, we don't like waiting. None of us like waiting. It is not natural for us to want to sit back and sit idle and wait On things to happen we live in a generation where if McDonald's takes more than two minutes to deliver our food we lose our testimony in our vehicles because we want it as soon as possible and yet God operates on his time not on our time and so when we have the idea of patience God says I will allow difficulty and persecution and trial because I am seeking to develop in you patience Patience being the ability to wait confidently on God, to have endurance. You see, sometimes we wait, but we wait anxiously. And we want to get ahead of God, and we want to rush God. And we, instead of waiting on God to give us the answers we're seeking for, we try to get ahead of Him and do things for ourselves, and we act before we have been led to act. And that's never Okay. I believe with all my heart that one of the most difficult things to do in all of the Christian life is to wait. We're okay acting, we're okay moving, but we have a hard time with simply waiting on God. We get ahead of Him. It's not in our nature to be still and allow God to work. How many times are we guilty of trying to help God out as if He needed our help? When He's trying to work in your life, the greatest thing you can do is allow Him to do His work. There are few things, I believe, that get us into as much trouble than refusing to wait on the Lord. To act before we have been led to act. One example that I can give you that comes to my mind so often and is demonstrated when I'm working with teenagers And this is just something that comes up over and over again when you're working with young people. And it illustrates this truth so well. Look back at the examples. You may have some examples of this yourself that you know, but look at the lives of some young men and some young women and the tragedy that it is when you find a young man and a young lady who refuse to wait on the Lord. They become impatient. They get tired of waiting on God. And so they end up settling for a man or a woman. They end up settling for a spouse that was never God's choice for them. But they got tired of waiting. They got tired of just waiting and watching everyone else end up in a relationship and everyone else get married. It happens to college students all the time. It happens to our young people. They they want to get married and they get so tired of just waiting on God's perfect choice And a young man or a young lady will end up settling. Only to find out years later how sorrowful, how tragic it was, and how much better it had been had they waited on God's timing. See, we get ourselves into a mess when we are impatient. If we're ever going to be what God would have us to be in our lives, we must allow God to develop in our lives patience. You see, difficulties are just a part of our lives. And if we don't learn to have patience in our difficulty, we're in trouble. God did not promise that your trials would be short-lived. You know, I think the disciples, uh, there were times when they were beaten and thrown in prison, and the next day, God miraculously freed them from their prison. Hey, that's awesome. Their trial in that instance was very short-lived. But then you look at Job. His circumstance went on and on and on. It was not a short-term thing. It was long-enduring. Maybe it is that God has for you to go through a trial, and it's not going to be something that ends overnight. How are you going to respond? How are you going to be able to go through and handle it in the way that you should? You've got to have patience. You've got to have the ability to wait confidently, not questioning, not anxiously, not fearfully, but to wait confidently, meaning that I know my God is in control. I know He's got a plan. I know He's working. And I'm going to wait patiently, confidently for Him to work His plan out in my life. You see, it has the idea of endurance. To wait confidently, even if you do not understand what's taking place. To endure, even though Times are difficult and it's harder than you can bear. To wait confidently when you cannot see the end of your present situation. To remember that God is in control. You know, perhaps one of the greatest things that you and I will ever learn as Christians is that when we are faced with trouble that is too great for us to handle, to learn to simply be still and leave matters in God's hands. Boy, that's easy to say and incredibly difficult to practice. To let go and let God work. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Count it all joy when the difficult times come your way. Not emotionally happy, but confident in the inner man, knowing that God is doing a work to develop in your life patience. Look at verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. All right, let's backtrack. If the purpose of temptations is to try our faith, and the trying of our faith is in order that God may work and produce patience in our lives, understand that patience will then produce in your life, according to verse 4, a perfect work. God's doing a perfect work. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So what does this mean? Perfect and entire. Patience will work in your lives to make us complete, to make us whole in every part. It has the idea of spiritual maturity. It has the idea of growing in the Lord in such a way that we are sound in our faith, we are sound in our doctrine, toward the Lord Jesus Christ that regardless of the trial, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the pressure, we are entire. We are made whole in our faith in Jesus Christ, unwavering. And so God is performing a perfect work that we may be able to stand complete in Him. Each of us can probably look at times in our lives when we were lacking spiritually. There may be times where we lack in our Bible reading, when we lack in our prayer life, when we lack in a besetting sin that Satan knows every time he dangles the hook, we're going to bite it because there is some area of our spiritual lives that we are lacking in. And God will use difficulties to bring you to your knees so that you look up, so that He can perform in your life a perfect work to make you perfect and entire, to make you complete to help you to grow spiritually. You think about the parable that Jesus said, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies and is broken, it bears no fruit. It cannot grow. You and I as believers cannot truly grow spiritually and mature in Jesus Christ until we are broken. And so God will allow the trials of life to come to work in our hearts to make us perfect and entire. Notice verse 4 again, the last phrase, wanting nothing. The idea here is that we would not be lacking in anything. Do you realize tonight, the God you serve, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is enough? In, in, In any situation, in any way that you want to spend that, in every area of our lives, do you recognize that Jesus is enough? Sufficiency, true sufficiency is only found in Him. You know, isn't it a terrible feeling to want something and be unable to satisfy that desire? You ever felt that way before? How many of you have ever come across something that you really wanted? I mean, something that you just desired beyond measure. Um, I don't know what the things are that you may desire for you ladies. Maybe... Uh, you went through the store one day and you just absolutely fell in love with some dress. Or maybe you were driving down the road and you drove past the home or the house of your dreams and you said, man, that house is just picture perfect. Boy, I'd love to be able to have that house. Maybe for some of you men, it would be your childhood dream car. I mean, that car that you've always said, man, I would look good driving down the road in that. And so you had something that you really, really wanted, but you did not have the means in order to satisfy that want, in order to take hold of what you desired. And you had to walk away from that house, that dress, that car, that thing, and the desire was still there. The desire remained with you, but you didn't have what you wanted. You couldn't satisfy that desire, that want. Isn't that a horrible feeling? I mean, that just that is a terrible thing to be feeling. And that may be a silly example, but my point is this. On the other side, on the one hand, it's horrible to want something that you cannot have. But on the other side, it is the greatest joy when we learn to find in Christ all that we could ever desire or want. To never have the feeling of desiring what I cannot have because everything that I desire is Jesus Christ. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. I am His and He is mine. And I have found complete satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you reach that place, there is no greater joy. We come to the place in our lives that as long as we have Him and He is all we need, then I'm not lacking in anything. God is working to produce in our lives patience, patience, that we may be spiritually whole and mature in all of life's circumstances. He says, I want you to be perfect. I want you to be whole. I want you to get to the place where you're lacking in nothing because I am all in all to you. Are you there tonight? Is Christ your satisfaction? Is He everything in your heart and in your mind? Is He the desire of your heart? Well, notice with me as we move on quickly, Now, sticking with the context, James is speaking about falling into diverse temptations. James is speaking about the difficulties and the trials and the circumstances of life. And he says in verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, if in the midst of your trial and your persecution, you lack the wisdom and the discernment needed to know what to do, to know how to respond, to know what to say and how to act, then you simply may call on your God and ask for help and He'll give it to you. How often we go through difficult times and we do get to the place where we lack the understanding and we lack the wisdom needed to know what to do. How often do we find ourselves without the words to say and not knowing which direction to go or what step to take? And God says, all the while, when you're there in that valley, all you have to do is ask, call on God, and I will give you the wisdom that you desire. If in your trial you don't know what to do, ask of God. And the Bible says, He giveth to him liberally. He's not stingy with His wisdom. He's not stingy with giving you the desire and the direction for your life. He will give you all that you need. You know what the main problem is? Not God's ability to give us wisdom. The issue is we're so slow to ask for it. We exhaust all other options before remembering that God was there waiting all along to give us what we needed. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. But notice with me in verse 6, there's a condition to this promise. Yes, God wants to give you wisdom. Yes, God wants to allow you to act in a godly manner no matter what you're going through. But there is a condition to God giving you the answer to this request. Verse 6 says, "...but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed." You see... We must ask God in faith, nothing wavering. You know what that requires? That would require complete trust and confidence in God. We ask God in faith, full assurance, 100% confident that His desire is to give us this. If I pray for wisdom, I know it is according to God's will because He said I can do it. However, it can be God's will, it can be my desire, and I can pray for it and not be guaranteed to get it because there's still the matter of the condition of my heart when I ask. I must ask in faith, nothing wavering. Meaning my confidence is in God, persuaded fully that He will do what He said He would do. You see, oftentimes, number one, we're slow to go to God, but secondly, when we do go to God, we have this doubt in the back of our minds. And we pray, we get on our knees, we ask God, and then we walk away, and there's just some part of us, maybe it's our stinking flesh, that says, I wonder if He'll do it. I wonder if He'll be a God of His Word. The Bible says here, according to verse number 7, if we are wish-washy in our faith, if we lack complete confidence in our God, complete faith, meaning we have yielded and are dependent 110% on our God, then we should not think that we would receive the answer to our requests. You see, God delights in answering our prayers, but He wants us to ask in faith. Being fully yielded to and dependent upon Him to answer and to hear what we have asked of Him. Notice he says very quickly, when we do not ask in faith, when we waver, when we ride the fence and we've got some confidence in God and yet we're still trying to work it out ourselves, we are compared to a wave in the sea that is driven by the wind and tossed. When you look at a wave, The wind picks up and blows and it drives that wave. And yet, before long, that wave is going to be tossed. It's going to subside. But when we're talking about the wind having the power to control and to drive the wave, and when we look at our own lives, the idea is so often you and I are just like a wave. Every time the wind blows and temptation comes or... The the wind blows and some distraction comes our way. Every time Satan dangles something in front of our faces, oftentimes we are just tossed to and fro like the wind. Temptation comes and it blows from this direction and we just subside. And then distraction comes and blows from this direction and we just go with the wind. We're tossed left and right because we're not anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not settled in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I wonder tonight, when difficulty comes, and it will, are you in the place in your relationship with the Lord where you have that joy, that strength in your inner man to recognize God's working, God's got a plan, and you're confident in His plan. Let's bow for a word of prayer tonight.